I've always seen that technology is supposed to really convey a convenience for the end user, right? In healthcare, we're often putting obstacles in front of people to be able to access things like healthcare information. And so me and the team started thinking about how do we innovate in using technology in the form of text messages, because we know that that is the widest reaching, most effective means of communicating and engaging with a busy person in today's world. Welcome back everyone to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on all around us and explore the disruptive convergence of technology, business, and people. Here are your hosts, Ira Wolf and Jason Cochran. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Geek Skeezers Googleization. I'm Ira Wolf, and thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. And I'm Jason Cochran. If you think this is just another podcast, think again. We are the voice of the crucial conversations that are confronting business leaders and people today around the future of work. And our goal is to bring you ways to reimagine tomorrow as we explore the convergence of business, technology, and people. And on this last day of Mental Health Awareness Month, I'm not sure how we can top last week's show. It was with Zach Mercurio. We talked about mattering and mattering at work and meaningful work. And I can't stop thinking about what Zach said. Maslow's Pyramid, which most of you are familiar with, is hierarchy and needs, is a trap. That was his quote. We got a lot of feedback, a lot of fun conversation. Please check it out. You can find the replay on YouTube on our channel, which is you can either get it on my channel, which is at Ira Wolf or at Geek Skeezers Googleization. So we now have our own Geek Skeezers Googleization YouTube channel, or you can listen, uh, just listen on your favorite podcast. The title, by the way, was Maslow, Martin and Mattering. So Martin is for Martin Seligman, which we'll be talking, I'm sure, a bet today. But, and that's a big but, well, not a big but, but a, a but with the big B. Today's episode might just be the icing on the cake because Keenan Hart will be joining us in just a few minutes to talk about shattering stigma. Keenan's a co founder of a business called Francis, which we're really excited to, to know. And it us- utilizes text messages and something called EMIs, ecological momentary interventions. So we want to we'll learn about EMIs, and it puts positivity, support, and encouragement at the fingertips of all your, it could be, all your workers. So I'd also add, like to add one other thing. I hope we did our part this month to help raise mental health awareness, and that our listeners are questioning their understanding it as much as I am. Because before this month, I tended to conflate mental health and well-being, and think about mental health and and mental illness on opposite ends of the spectrum. But that's a trap too. And one of the key reasons that there is such a stigma around mental health. So I don't know anybody better than Keenan to help us maybe separate those and some of the work that they're doing. But before we get there, it's once again time for our perfect labor storm segment. This is where on each episode, we focus on a disruptive, surprising, or worrisome trend that we believe you should know. So no surprise, today's Perfect Labor Storm focus is on mental health. So here's some alarming stats. According to Gallup, one-fifth 
of all U.S. workers rate their mental health as fair or poor. It's even higher for young adults under 30. 83% of U.S. workers suffer from work-related stress, with one quarter of them saying their job is the number one stressor in their lives. About 1 million Americans miss work each day because of stress. 76% of U.S. workers report that workplace stress affects their personal relationships. U.S. workers are among the most stressed in the world. 90% of adults believe there is a mental health crisis in the U.S. And globally, an estimated 12 billion, that's with the B, 12 billion working days are lost every year to depression and anxiety at a cost of $1 trillion, with a T, US, in U.S. dollars per year in lost productivity. And not to be lost in all this, but according to the Men Mental Health America, in the U.S., nearly 98% of mid to large size companies offer EAP programs, employee assistant programs, but only 4% of employees use them. So it's not that employers aren't trying to help solve this crisis, but there is a mixed mismatch. So we can't wait to talk about shattering stigma. That's absolutely right, Ira. And on this wave of, of mental health in the workplace, we also have this other major disruption with AI. And it seems quite ironic that one day following Memorial Day, that we had dozens of AI industry leaders and academics calling for reducing the risk of, listen to this, global annihilation due to artificial intelligence. And they argued in a brief statement that the threat of an AI extinction event should be a top global priority. Here is just the the 22-word quote that they had in this paper. Quote, mitigating the risk of extinction from AI should be a global priority alongside other societal scale risks such as pandemics and nuclear war. This was the statement published by the Center for AI Safety. And the statement was signed by leading industry officials, including OpenAI's founder and CEO, Sam Altman, as well as Jeffrey Hinton, top executives and researchers from Google DeepMind and Anthropic, and Kevin Scott, from Microsoft, who is Microsoft's chief technology officer. And while preventing human extinction is a long-term concern with AI, there's also a more urgent concern we're talking about today that's staring us right in the face, and that is its effects on mental health. And now that more of us are working from home, it's becoming even easier for this struggle to be invisible to others. As technology advances and the demands of the modern workforce continue to grow, so does the urgent need to address mental health in the workplace. So I got a little curious before we bring Keenan on. I wanted to hop on ChatGPT just to get its opinion on this topic of mental health in the workplace. And interestingly, it listed eight precipitating factors where AI is going to disrupt mental health in the workplace. The first one is techno stress. That is all of us learning to deal with new technologies. Number two, job displacement and insecurity. Number three, ethical AI concerns. Number four, social isolation. Number five, misinformation. Number six, loss of control. Number seven, dependency and addiction. And number eight, AI bias and discrimination. And so all of those factors, according to ChatGPT, says it could lead to some new possible mental health conditions for us that could be concerning in the future, such as what it dubbed techno-anxiety disorder digital dependency syndrome, algorithmic distress syndrome, information overload disorder, 
AI-induced identity crisis, virtual isolation syndrome, and AI-induced imposter syndrome, just to name a few. And so obviously, it's not a doctor. It's not diagnosing those things. But in terms of us understanding and positioning how important this mental health and the work through in terms of the disruption, but it's about the field of AI and its impact on mental health. This is unlike anything we've ever experienced before. And as we prepare for these risks, we've got to figure out how we can actually leverage AI and technology to actually help us solve some of the challenges that it might be creating. And that's why there's no one better positioned to help us sort through this today than Keenan Hart, as he has expertise in both of these worlds, both on the technology end as a tech co-founder, but also on the mental health end with the work that they're doing at Francis. And so without further ado, let's welcome today's honored guest as we close out Mental Health Awareness Month, Keenan Hart. Keenan, welcome to the show, Standing Ovation. Well, thank you guys so much for the uh, round of applause. I definitely appreciate it. As I was hearing uh, you guys kind of talk about some of the challenges that we're going to face in the future, my ears instantly started to perk up with a little bit of intuitiveness because like you said, Jason, I've come from the space of tech innovation and really recognize the need for innovation in the mental and behavioral health space and recognizing some of the dynamic challenges that we face today. I think there's no better, you know, platform for us to be able to have this conversation on. So I really appreciate you guys inviting me here today. Well put and right out of the gate, Keenan, you're just hitting it out of the park. I mean, that, that's so true. And that's why we're excited to have you today is because you have this expertise of understanding the mental health end and understanding the technology end. And so as we start to wade into those waters, maybe just give us a little bit of your background, why you're passionate about mental health in the workplace, and tell us the story of Francis, the work that you're doing to try and help improve mental health in the workplace using technology. Absolutely. So back in uh, when I started my entrepreneurial journey, it was 2014, and I had just discovered how technology can play as the connector to increase access to mental health services. So in 2014, we actually started a telehealth company. And the telehealth space back in the day was ripe for innovation. And the one thing that I truly found was that many solutions, especially in healthcare, had always been developed in a vacuum, if you will. We have incredibly smart people who you know, love to contribute to the innovation of healthcare, but often the innovations aren't really focused on providing the best experience for the individual patients and clients who need access to services. I'll give you a great example. When we first started really figuring out what telehealth meant back in 2014, we came across some real big challenges in engaging with the busy modern day patient. And the one thing that we found was many healthcare institutions and organizations really went all in on things like patient portals, right? When you talk about large EMRs, electronic medical records, often the one interface that a patient has to access their healthcare records and collaborate with their trusted healthcare professionals or advisors is accessing a patient portal. Here's the issue. When people think about accessing a patient portal, often they think about the cumbersome process of having to remember a password, remember a login, and then log into a cumbersome system just to find information that is valued to them or valuable to them and their healthcare journey. Now, when I started in 2014, I had the privilege of engaging with one of the implementers for Epic, which is a large EMR system. And he said, Keenan, one of the biggest challenges we're having is getting people to engage in their patient portal. We're only getting about 3% adoption of this large multi-million system that we just rolled out. And one of the biggest challenges he said was, 
We can't get people to come to the portal. We can't get them to enter their information and access collaborating with their healthcare professional. And we started thinking about why is that? Now, me being born in 1990, I've always seen that technology is supposed to really convey a convenience for the end user, right? In healthcare, we're often putting obstacles in front of people to be able to access things like healthcare information. And so me and the team started thinking about how do we innovate in using technology in the form of text messages, because we know that that is the widest reaching, most effective means of communicating and engaging with a busy person in today's world, right? And so we started using text messages to be able to send out appointment reminders, confirmation, information to join a meeting to talk with their healthcare provider like we're doing today. And we saw an explosion in engagement because we were using communication channels that we know people were paying attention to. Now, fast forward to the pandemic, I started reaching out to my mental and behavioral health partners and asking, how can we provide value for you guys? And they said, one of the biggest challenges we face is getting people to engage in their daily therapeutic process when it comes to talking with their therapist, using the tools that their counselor has enabled them with. So how do we do these things? Well, back in 2018, the University of Washington actually created a program called Caring Contacts, which was based on those little magical text messages to be able to engage with people on a daily basis with things like messages of encouragement, positivity, support. And so as I saw that, I looked at our history in mental health as well as in developing solutions to engage with patients and clients. And we really started thinking about this magical tool that we have in the form of text messages could be the, I would say, silver bullet to overcome some of the challenges in engaging with people on a daily basis. So we developed Francis as a way to deliver one daily text message or a little interruption, like Ira said, in the form of an ecological momentary intervention to be able to deliver a message of positivity, support, encouragement, or something helpful like a mental wellness resource to busy people. Now, when we went out into the marketplace with Francis, our objective was to support our patients and clients. But the leaders of these large healthcare systems looked at us and said, this is great, but wouldn't it be more impactful if we supported our team members, the nurses, the staff, the administrators, the people who are working every day to serve others, but not giving themselves enough time to be able to recharge themselves. And so that's when we found that Francis was a natural fit to be able to support the EAP efforts to help overcome the issues of burnout, isolation, uh, stress, anxiety, like Ira was talking about in the very beginning of today's conversation. How do we use technology in its simplest form that we know people are paying attention to, to be able to weaponize it, to be able to you know, prevent some of the things like burnout and the long-term effects on our job market, like Ira was highlighting when we started today. So Keenan, the topic of today, I mean, this is a perfect setup because the topic of today is shattering stigma, the stigma around this. And I don't think there's any clear example of that, that depending on the study between 97 and 98% of mid to large size companies offer EAP but consistently, it's only three or four percent of employees actually use it. So there's, there's obviously a breakdown. There was a really and we talked about this on last week's show, too. There was a really interesting article that came out of Mar Marty Seligman and Gabriella Kellerman, which is from their new book. And I highly encourage everybody to pick up Tomorrow Mind, which is their new book. But there was a study that came out of that that talked about how we approach mental illness versus mental health. and or, or even employee well-being or, or growth and development, where in, in the HR, it's siloed. And growth and development, learning and development, 
it, you know, is focused is sort of the positive side, but mental or EAPs or, or mental health illness is, or even mental health is considered remediation. Like people, like everybody starts at, at, at a hundred. And if you have anything less, then you have a disease and then you have to admit it. And then you go into the remediation program rather than the growth and development program. So it was really interesting of what their approach is. And I encourage people to go out there. But with that, what it did was it exposed me to what I mentioned earlier is how we how most of us, and I include me, misunderstand mental health, mental illness, employee well-being because they're, they all sort of get lumped and collated and put in there, especially employee health and employee and mental health or employee well-being and mental health. It's sort of like they're equivalent and they're not. Can you care to comment on that? And, and it sounds and especially obviously you're, you're working on positivity. So you're you're quite familiar with Seligman's work and 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 that whole and the philosophy. Yeah, I mean, like, so here's my perspective. You know, this goes back to the early days of recognizing where we came from, right? If we talk about the United States in general, the culture around mental health, we haven't had an amazing history from a psychiatry perspective and practice here in the United States, right? If we asked older generations what mental health was, they often looked at it as being a severe disease state where you need to go be, you know, checked into a behavioral health hospital, you're an inpatient ward or something like that. And I feel like the generations, as we've been continuing to move down the timeline, are still holding that stigma. Because I'm not sure about you guys, Ira and Jason, but how many conversations did your parents have with you guys around mental health? What challenges with our mental health, feelings of anxiety, feelings of stress really represented other than just a, I would say, a tide of life, right? Sometimes you're going to be stressed. You're going to get over it. Don't worry about it. So like, how many times did you guys have those early conversations with your parents? Well, as an older baby boomer and, you have, and, and, and you're the young, you're the kid. And, but even, you know, compared to Jason, it, you basically, if you talked about it, it was talked about as a negative mm -hmm. that someone was sick, but it was embarrassing. You didn't talk about it outside your house. People were crazy. And I know that's not, <laughs> that, that's not the uh, politically correct, but people were crazy and they went to the state institution or the crazy hospital and you know people i mean people had siblings parents there and they just they they were embarrassed by it and they just didn't admit it and and i i agree i mean there's still a lot of baby boomers around so we we still have that you know and i'm i'm in i'm on the millennial trapped in the baby boomer body but i have but but i have a lot of baby boomers trapped in their own body and they still believe what they believe it really is something you don't talk about even to others, forget about it. Was there a conversation between the parents or siblings? You just didn't talk about it because it admitted a weakness and a vulnerability and how that, you know, you, you would be an outcast for that. How about you, Jason? Yeah, I'm glad you asked this question. I'm going to share a story real briefly here. I've never shared on the show before. I lost my grandfather. He took his own life when I was 10 years old. He lived in Kentucky and he battled depression. And for him, it got to a point where he thought the better choice was to just be done with life than to ask for help. And that still breaks my heart to this day, that that was the culture that he grew up in. But what I saw from it was it enabled our family to, we struggled through it, 
But the old way we would have handled it would be that, oh, we don't talk about this. Like we don't mention it. We'll come up with a different story for how he passed away. And going through that struggle of understanding that and learning more about it over time, we understood, no, like we need to tell this and you know, we need to be truthful about this and what really happened and make sure that we're comfortable talking about if any of us get to a point where we're not feeling okay, that that's okay. The unconditional love and positive regard is there. And so that was a, a big learning experience for me because that wasn't the culture I grew up in, but it certainly was a factor that influenced my interest in psychology as I got older and wanting to help be part of the solution to it was seeing that my grandfather didn't even feel like he had a family member that he was comfortable talking with this about and thought that the alternative was, you know, a better, a better approach. So absolutely, you know, to me, when we talk about these things, I know sometimes people say, well, you're engaging in hyperbole when you say this stuff around mental health, when we talk about life and death, but it is, it really is like this stuff is at the core of who we are, of how we feel, of how we approach every single day, of how we show up. And ultimately it has to do with how we want to be loved and how we want to be cared and how we want to be held. And, and I think unfortunately a lot of times for, we have three guys on the show here today, I think in particular for males, that's been a challenge over time that there's been more of the mentality, especially in the U S of you don't talk about it. You suck it up, buttercup. You're a man, get over it, be strong, show your strength and move past it. And I think we're now getting into an age where more people, men in particular, hopefully, where we are getting more comfortable with opening up about these struggles and these feelings and being authentic and real about it. Jason, it just, and I, I want to give this back to, to Keenan real quick, but as you just shared that, and thank you for, for being so vulnerable and, and, and sharing that, but I'm not sure as the, as the old, as the baby boomer here, being able to observe, you know, like seven decades of this is that so much has changed because the suicide rate in, you know, for adolescents and college students is, is skyrocketing. I mean, it's a hockey stick, you know, going up. So, you know, your, your grandfather, you know, committed suicide, you know, because of mental, because of depression years ago, but it doesn't seem like we've learned a whole lot. And my perspective on that is just what you said, Jason, right? Often we came up with narratives in our culture to kind of change the story, right? That was something that when someone ends up dying by suicide or we have a family member who passes away, often we look for a different narrative to be able to publicize, to show that we are not weak as a family, right? Me growing up as a biracial man, African-American father, white mother, I saw the differences in how my family cultures approach those types of conversations. And unfortunately for me, many of them were like yours, Jason. That is just how your uncle is, right? That's just how he's always been. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about the fact that they're drinking, doing drugs, all that kind of stuff. That's just the choice they made. That's not a mental health issue, right? And now we talk about the changes in, I would say, the throne or the guard. We've got a younger generation of people who are still dealing with these incredibly tough and scary conversations with themselves that are now trying to deal with the challenges of the world. And so, Ira, when you say that, We've got a younger generation of people who are dying by suicide, people who are dealing with anxiety, feelings of depression and stress. That makes sense to me because we still are not having the conversation. 
right? We are not equipped with the tools and the skill sets that we need to be able to navigate some of those tough conversations. So we avoid them. And unfortunately, when we avoid them, they only get bigger behind us from a sense of conflict. And then when they come to the moment of having the conversation, they're so much bigger than what they should have been. And so when I think about the role of technology today, we are facing more challenges from an outsider's perspective with social media, with the expectations that we are supposed to have, the things we are supposed to accomplish by the time I'm 32 years old. If I was going by the definition of Instagram or TikTok, I should be a multi-billionaire by now who's got a whole bunch of scant, scantily clad dressed ladies behind me running around. But that's not the expectation that many people actually live up to or the realization. And so now when we look at our lives, we think we're not doing as good as we should be. And that's when we start to feel that sense of inferiority, that sense of anxiety, that internal pressure that we create for ourselves. And so when you were talking about Jason a little earlier about hey, how AI is going to impact us, right? What it really means to me, if I kind of boil it down to an initial emotion, it comes into the sense of insecurity or uncertainty, not realizing what our future is going to be in front of us. And so we start to feel uneasy in our own skin. And I feel like, you know, that conversation needs to be had more as well. I couldn't agree with you more on that, Keena. That was very insightful. And I, I think you touched on it here briefly, too, setting the AI aside. We've struggled with social media. I mean, the number of research studies now that have shown how detrimental social media is to adolescents in particular, their mental health is absolutely astonishing. And to think that we may start pushing into an age where it becomes even easier to access those or where misinformation or deep fakes or things can be fabricated even easier. It's such a challenge to, at least I, I experienced this, to both on one hand, I'm extremely optimistic for the future because one of the first things I always share is when people ask me, why are you excited for the future? First words out of my mouth, we're going to beat cancer. I lost my mom to cancer way too soon. We just lost a friend who's 40 years old to cancer a few weeks ago. And I can't wait for the day when nanotechnology and AI finally gets us to the point where we're no longer doing chemo or these other treatments because we actually have cures that have been brought on by AI and nanotechnology. But then there's this other side of it with the social media and with the misinformation and things like that. And, and that's where I'm trying to, to, to find out where is that, you know, that balance in the workplace of leveraging technology to try and help with that. And then this other piece, too, of remote work, where just many of us aren't around each other as much as we used to be if we're working from home. And so maybe before we head into the break, let's head that direction a little bit, is how do you see the remote work, more of us working in our homes, less time together in the office or in working spaces. How is that affecting this whole mental health in the workplace piece? And are there ways that technology can help us build those connections to guard against it? Well, from my perspective, the remote work in itself was a dramatic change for many of us. And I talk about this a lot in some of my meetings. It's we have to really boil this down to the human experience. And when you were talking about your grandfather, Jason, and Iroh, when you were talking about coming up and growing up in a earlier generation, what we were really talking about was a shared human experience. And the world that we live in today is more connected than ever. And we all have a similar human experience I think we need to recognize. When the pandemic occurred, Many people experienced tremendous feelings of grief and loss in their personal lives, like so many of us did by losing a family member, not being able to say goodbye to somebody how we wish we could have. But the other side of that was the professional sense of grief and loss, which was the loss of identity, 
me being my team leader and showing up for the people who I work with every single day, that sense of community coming into the office and having those small types of conversations, that sense of human connection, but also that overall sense of, I would say, identity and I would say routine that we were a part of. How many people before the pandemic actually subconsciously look forward to the ride to the office because it meant that they could leave the stress from home behind? And then when they clocked out from work, they went back into their home lives. Now that people are working in a home environment, it seems like we're blurring the lines between work and life. And when we don't have the ability to be able to create that separation, everything gets a little bit more inclusive in a negative way. I carry the stress from my early meetings into how I engage with my family members here at home, or I continue to handle or leverage the stress that's coming from an update, upcoming project or a deadline into how I communicate with my team members. And so from my perspective, technology in itself is going to make things easier, like you highlighted, Jason. But more importantly, we need to think about how technology can nurture the human experience, right? And so when I think about how technology plays a role, I've spent so much time innovating and creating different technology solutions to engage with people. Many of them need to be more, I would say, direct and thoughtful in how we nurture the human experience. So here at Francis, the thing that we believe in is that you are a person who is executing on the role of your business. You are not the customer success manager. You are not a business development rep, but you are a person executing on that role. And when it comes to things as important as our mental health, we need to make sure that we are all supported from a whole person health perspective, meaning you feel encouraged, you feel heard, you feel recognized, and you're given the resources in a convenient manner that you can help empower yourself to deal with feelings like stress. And so that's why we use text messages at Francis to be able to engage with you because we realize that this device is not more than an arm's length away from you throughout the entire day. When it does buzz or ding, you look at it. And when we can weaponize that human behavior or that habit of looking at our device, and it can be that interruption of positivity, support, or encouragement that someone needs, that is a different approach to enabling people with the resources and tools that they can use to be their best self and show up as their best self rather than saying, here's an additional resource you can access, Ira, after a long day of dealing with your entire team and now dealing with the family stress as well. So there's a different approach to technology, but we need to be thoughtful and how we execute and deploy it to be able to nurture the people of our organization. Yeah, or worse, at the end of that day, here's a pill you can take. A hundred percent, exactly. <laughs> yeah, or, or a drink. That's right. Yeah, let's, let's have a drink. Fascinating conversation. Love this, guys. But we are going to take a break. We're going to talk about something that hopefully might help on a more positive vein. Talk about growth mindset and I want to thank, uh, there's a few comments that came in. I'm just going to share one. We'll share the other one after the break. Leading change in an area of AI in an era of AI will require more true, genuine human belonging. I think you've been talking about that, but uh, Jason, I think that's just what you said and, and Keenan, you know, as well. So when we come back, let's talk a little bit more about that. How do we embed that in? What does that look like? And you, you've got an ambitious goal, Keenan, to touch a million, a hundred million people. <laughs> with, with with positivity. So let's uh, see if how we can help you get there. But we're going to take a quick break. We will be right back. Stay tuned. Are your employees feeling stuck and just showing up for a paycheck? Is your workforce working harder to get back to normal than adapting to the future? It's time to help them break their addiction to certainty and develop a growth mindset. Developed by one of the world's top-rated future of work thought leaders, AQ Plus Mindset is a powerful tool to help your employees embrace change, adapt faster, and grow on the job. 
conveniently delivered to any smartphone or laptop in easy-to-digest 5-10 to 10 minute lessons. Managers can sit back and watch employee attitude shift towards growth and innovation in just 30 days. Are you ready to help your employees thrive in this ever-changing, never-normal world? Encourage them to show more grit, resilience, adaptability, and unlock their potential? The journey to a growth-filled future starts with a growth mindset. Visit aqplusmindset.com or call 484-373-4300. I just want to remind everybody, uh, you're listening to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. Uh, on the upper right-hand corner, if you're watching, you can click on the, or you can uh, take a, a shot of the QR code, and it'll take you and learn a little bit more about AQ Plus Mindset program. And if you're not, if you're just listening to this, you can go up to my website, irawolf.com, and uh, click on it there. So appreciate it. And welcome back, Keenan. Fascinating conversation. Keenan's co-founder of Francis. We've been talking about mental health. There was another comment that had come in that related to the conversation. This is a big one. But let's not recreate the mess we made 20 years ago with social media. The tools we choose to use matter. The choices we make matter. In this era of AI, we're all experiencing techno stress, with which Jason mentioned in the beginning, a new a new syndrome. Although it's not really new, because I've got too much piled on it over here. But in 1970, Alvin Toffler talked about future shock, and future shock was the shattering stress and disorientation we would all experience from the accelerating pace of technological change. So it was predicted 60 years ago that we would have this syndrome, but as human beings on planet Earth, we said, oh, it won't happen in my lifetime and pushed it down the road. But <laughs> here, here we are. And it's more important to, have, to meet people with empathy in the change, which is exactly what you're doing, Keenan. Well, I appreciate that. You know, when I hear the comment, like, let's not recreate the mess that we made 20 years ago with social media, I think it's almost compounded by the... I would say prevailing rate of progress in how technology kind of iterates in a generational perspective. And now one of the biggest things that I kind of think about was a conversation I was listening to the other day by a prolific investor, one of the original Facebook guys. And he was like, you know, AI is iterating on a generational perspective faster than any technology that we've seen before. Let's not forget that it was November of 22, right? When AI, open AI dropped chat GPT. It is now May 31st, and we are on, what, the sixth iteration of that tool. Every single time I log into ChatGPT, I see a new update, a new generation. And the fact is, all of the information that is being pulled through that thing is helping it compound on itself so much faster. And so I don't think that we're going to be able to avoid the changes or the missteps that we've made in the past, but we need to be more thoughtful, like that last comment just said, about the choices we make. Because we are on a downhill runaway train at this point in time. And unless we're willing to adapt and really have a perspective of awareness around these things that we're surrounded by every day, the compounding issues are only going to get more severe, right? I think about the younger generations when we talk about how social media has changed, right? If you think about the chronological stage, when I went to college in 2009, Facebook in itself was a chronological timeline of everything that was happening throughout the day. Went and got breakfast, went to my first class. Now these tools have been changed to gather our attention because the model has changed for advertisement. 
So now when you go on TikTok or Instagram, you're being fed images and stories from other people to keep you engaged on those platforms. And I often worry about the mental health diet that so many Americans are on today because we are consistently consuming small little micro doses of negativity and uncertainty every single day. And they don't seem like they have an effect on us until you've been doing that for six months or that's been your entire lifetime. And so now it's easy to understand that if we eat messages of anxiety, inferiority, insecurity, uncertainty, that we're going to eventually start displaying those things in front of us in our everyday life. And I think we're on the early stages of recognizing that big macro issue that we're facing in society in general. And with that, Keenan, I, I want to ask a question in your opinion, and you you too, Ira, on this. What, How much should businesses be involved in this to help fix the problem? Because just from what I've seen over the years, it very much was almost like the Hippocratic Oath. It's like, well, maybe our only responsibility is to do no harm. We're not going to create a great place to work that helps with mental health. But if we can at least send you home not as badly damaged, then that's okay. Are we moving into and should we be moving into an era where enterprises, businesses, organizations are part of the solution and not just not just looking at it from the the nine to five perspective, but what are they providing holistically for people from the five to nine also to support them and to support the wellness? Where do you see that line being drawn in terms of what organizations can and should be doing? From my perspective, and Ira, I can't wait to hear your answer on this as well. We have to be different types of leaders in a different world, right? You're talking about supporting the people of an organization, and that does not only happen from nine to five. When Ira was talking about the statistics earlier about how many people have indicated, self-reported, that they have poor mental health, that does not happen just between the hours of nine and five, but that is a whole consuming picture of someone's life. And so from my perspective, if you're going to be an impactful leader who's going to build a generation or a business for the next generation, we need to think about how we can holistically support the people of the organization, not just the bottom line that comes along with it. Because competition is more fierce than ever before. The only way you're going to be able to keep top talent today, in my opinion, is by supporting them holistically as a whole person, rather than just the role that they execute in the organization. And so my perspective is this has to be a leader organization change to start, or we're never going to see the changes that we're looking for. But Ira, with all your experience throughout time, I would love to be able to kind of hear your perspective too. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And and just, you know, basically on, on what you just said, you know, one of the biggest challenges that we have is that we are in an, you know, industrial revolution 4.0 or whatever the number, you know, might be. I mean, we are at a point in history that none of us have really experienced before um, because uh, there's none of us that are around like in 1830 or 1840 when the cotton gin, you know, <laughs> got developed and transformed that. But it's it's also interesting taking it back to shattering the stigma the and, and talking about EAP and this whole concept of mental health and mental illness, because the EAP was developed out of Frederick Taylor's work model, which was, you know, just, you know, almost dictate script what everybody's role was. And it's ironic because we talk about robots taking over the world, but basically a hundred years ago, all the large manufacturers based on Frederick Taylor's thinking created robots out of people. 
Everybody oh, yeah. comes in and stands in the line and does the same work over and over and over again. But that created a really high rate of alcoholism. People were bored. They didn't feel that they were purposeful. They just showed up as cogs in a wheel to do work. So the EAP program was essentially developed years ago because their workers were, were basically not productive when they were drunk uh, and they weren't coming to work and they were having injuries. So they created that program out of necessity. Well, the entire workplace has changed. We know there are some people that still want to go back to the Frederick Taylor way, but basically that's not going to happen. So we have a new a, a new work ethic model or new work ethic model, but we have a new work model. We have a new workplace model. It's still evolving. We don't know what it's going to be. And frankly, is EAP was still structured to help people when they're sick. It was a remedial program. And and in order to to change that structure is what's ironic, and I'll go back to Seligman's article and 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 uh, Kellerman's article, is that the same skills, the same skills that you you get you help somebody with who who does have uh, who is depressed, who is anxious, who is stressed out, who is burnt out, is is basically helping develop a growth mindset, is helping the, the develop, become more resilient, give them the skills to deal with the stress, respond to the stress, anticipate the stress, what, you know, identify the triggers. Those are exactly the same skills we teach leaders on the learning and development side. But we have, but if, but, but in order to get to, to develop, in order to grow and develop, you don't have insurance that covers it. You you go to HR and apply for a tuition reimbursement or they do a, a three or six hour type of a training. But if you're sick, it falls under our health insurance and EAP and you get a counselor. You don't get a coach. The whole nomenclature, that whole concept of that is bizarre. But we're basically still stuck in a 1920s workplace model for EAP. And I think that's where it needs to change. Yeah, I feel like the entire system is very reactionary, right? If I think about my experience in healthcare, right? It's always treat somebody when they're sick enough to come inside, right? And it's like that in itself is a model that is really kind of designed for failure because at the end of the day, you're only gonna be dealing with the most severely impacted people and they're gonna cause the most attention they're going to put the definition around accessing a resource like an EAP program, which I think is incredibly valuable. But the thing is, is when you talk about 4% of people only access their EAP program, why is that? Is that positioned in the organization like it is a policy and procedure mm -hmm. that when you feel these things, you should go access Y resource, right? I think is very difficult. And one of the things that I think you need to do a better job, and we've talked about this conversation or this topic a couple of times today is conversations, right? We need to have conversations which will start to break down some of the barriers. And so one of the things that we found at Francis is when an organization deploys Francis to their team members, one of the first things that happens is the micro conversations that organizations and teams start having. Instead of talking about Jason and Ira, are you feeling stressed today? Are you feeling overwhelmed? Well, remember, you can access your EAP resources. Instead, what they will do is have conversations around a message like Francis. What message did you get from Francis today? And what did it mean to you? 
Now that might seem like a small nuance, but starting a conversation from a third party, I would say resource about what a message could mean to somebody is a great way to start talking about stress, start talking about feelings of overwhelm that is not so policy and procedure that people seem to like lean away from. And so from my perspective, that's a great way to start eliminating some of the stigma is if you have a consorted functional effort to be able to have some of the conversations around things as important as mental health in the workplace. When we're talking about it, more people are willing to join into the conversation. But when it seems like it's just a EAP section inside your employee handbook where you have to go to page 246, it seems a little bit less effective and a little less designed for me as the individual. Hey, Kanan, unfortunately, we're, we're, we're getting toward the end here, but and I'm going to go make one more reference to that article because I think this is a great setup for it, is that Seligman talks about creating, instead of an EAP, is an ETT, Employee Thriving Team. Yes. And whether it's, hey, I'd like to learn the skills to better respond to an uncertain future on a positive side, or I am, I am on the verge of burnout. I've got these really negative suicidal thoughts. It's the same process. It's that it's it's not that you need a doctor or you need a a life coach. It's they're delivering the same tools. So in in light whatever you call it, and maybe we you know and and we don't just want people going out and changing the name of the EAP program to e ETT and not making you know <laughs> mind, mindful efforts as as the easy thing that we do. It, it's it's it, it's a roadmap, and and you guys are uh, at Francis. They're certainly on that, and you know we love what you're doing, and we want to help you reach that hundred million, you know, people that you touch with with positive messages every day. Because we certainly get our 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 dose. Our, you know, we're 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 well, we are addicted to uncertainty, so we're 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 looking for that medication. So let's go on the positivity side rather than drinking and drugs. <laughs> we got enough problems. But I, we like to close uh, at least this segment with one question. What was something that we should have asked you that we didn't? Oh, that's a good one. I would say one of the questions that I like to ask is, how can we make a difference today? Right. And I think that this difference that we're looking for in change starts with all of us individually. Right. One of the things that I always challenge people when I leave a conversation like this is you can be the lift of encouragement, positivity and support that somebody needs. All it takes for you is to reach out to somebody and ask how they're doing. Deliver a message of support. I mean, imagine how powerful it would be, Ira, if you received a text message from one of your friends today that said, hey, I was just thinking about you. I know that you're doing some awesome work and all the stuff that you're doing about having these important conversations. And I just want to let you know you're doing a great job. You might not get the encouragement that you always deserve. That little message of encouragement can be the boost that you needed, that you're privately going through a tough time, maybe you're feeling a little uncertain, that was delivered from your community. And so we all have the ability to be that person who can reach out and be that positive impact and that change that people are looking for, but it starts with us. And so my challenge for you and Jason today and anybody else who's listening to this is reach out to somebody with a message of positivity, encouragement, and support, and see how it changes not only you, but their life today. That would be the biggest thing that I would kind of challenge everybody to do. Yeah, the one thing they had to think is that, I, unfortunately, and this is sad, but if, if the majority of employees got that from their manager, they'd probably think it was spam. <laughs> and that's, a, that's another issue that we deal with as well. But it's so important to you know leverage the personal human connection that we have, right? And I think that those things are 
maybe positioned as spammy in some people's mind, but I think more people are looking for that little message of encouragement that we need today. And maybe it's a, you know, like what you mentioned a couple seconds ago, and I mean to keep going over time here, but the language we use when we approach things like this is so vitally important and we need to pay attention to those more often. Yeah. I, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't suggesting that it was spam, but yeah. it happened so infrequently that if they got there from their manager who just sent it out, who never does that, they might think it's spam. So. That's very true. <laughs> very true. Absolutely. And so, Keenan, I can't believe we're coming up against the time here, but we got two more segments we want to do with you real quick. The first one is our hopes and fears segment. And so real simply, we want you to share what are your hopes for the future? What are your fears for the future? My hope for the future is that everyone has the confidence in themselves to take on challenges that are worth fighting for. That is my biggest hope for the future. My fear is that because of the uncertainty and negativity that we're surrounded in, that too many people are giving that little internal voice, which was planted by somebody else in your head at some point in time, too much authority over you dictating your life, right? We have so many things that we want to pursue. We have so many people who we want to go talk to. We have so many things that we're passionate about, but that little voice internally sometimes is our biggest hypocrite in telling us that we can't do things. But my reminder is that that voice did not come from you naturally. That was put in your mind by somebody else who gives you that message of uncertainty and doubt. You just need to remember that that's not you know, who you are internally. I love that. And that's a perfect segue right into our, our lightning round where we want to talk about things to get to know you a little bit better on a personal level. So we're going to send you three or four questions here. I promise they're softball questions, but we want to get to know the other side of Keenan Hart beyond just the, the technology co-founder and the pioneer in the mental health space. So let's start with this one. Favorite band or favorite song? My favorite band, I would say, is favorite artist is Drake. I have to say, I was born in you know 1990. I came up with a revolution of Drake taking over the pop airways and hip hop airways, and so Drake is my favorite artist for sure. Nice man. That's the first time we've gotten Drake. How about the fake Drake now with the AI that's that's dripping some of the fake Drake out there? Any of the the fake Drake too? The fake Drake slaps. It is a, he does an amazing <laughs> job coming up with some he awesome does. rhymes. You know, I think it was uh, I think it was Grimes who was the artist a couple weeks ago who was getting pro, uh, a lot of promotion because she said that anybody who uses her likeness and voice will get fifty percent of proceeds. So she's willing to split her revenue with the AI versions of her voice. And if Drake was really wants to get to the next level, he should be doing that stuff as well. I love it. Grimes has got the growth mindset, the abundance mindset, and is like, hey, instead of fighting this, we're going to get innovative and figure out to make it a win-win for everybody. I love that. How about this one? If there's one person in the history of the world that you could meet, who would it be? One person in the history of the world, who would I meet? I would love to get down to, uh, I would love to meet Martin Luther King Jr. and listen to uh, his mindset and how he overcame kind of the haters from the outside, right? Talking about not believing in his vision and what it took to kind of fortify his mindset for a future that he believed in that maybe everybody didn't see at the time. I love that. That's the first time we've gotten Martin Luther King Jr. also, Ira. Love it. And then how about this one? How about a, a hidden skill or talent? Something people wouldn't suspect about Keenan Hart. Hidden skill or talent? I would say my hidden skill and talent is anything that has to do with a sport. I've always been very talented at. I've always picked those things up quickly. It could be golf. I'm waiting to get into pickleball because I keep seeing a lot of this. My size being a six foot six guy and athletic, I feel like I could cover a lot of space on the court. But anything that has to do with sports is normally something I pick up pretty well. 
I love that man. Next time you're in Indianapolis, we should have a place open for the pickleball. It's called Pickle and Chicken. Pickle and um, chicken. <laughs> pickle and chicken. Evidently, you can get you some chicken tenders and then go out on the courts and play some pickleball. Not sure what kind of a combo that would be. It sounds yeah. a little rough, but if you're ever in Indy, once they've got it built here in the next year or two, we'll have to go check it out and have a pickleball match. Sounds like a plan. Awesome, man. Well, Keenan, thank you so much for being with us today. Before we let you go, just want to make sure we've got some ways that our audience can get in touch with you and learn about the work that you and your team are doing at Francis. We've got Francis, F-R-A-N-S-I-S, dot us is where they can go to learn more about your work there and then is linkedin the best way to get in touch with you linkedin is definitely the best way to get in touch with me yep awesome any other ways folks can reach out and learn more about what you're doing yeah you can always follow us on instagram as well as TikTok, as well as all the other social platforms we use those platforms to be able to spread messages of positivity and encouragement we want to be that voice of you know uplifting support that people see on social media so you can go check us out there at uh positivity from francis p-o-t-i positivity from francis you guys can figure it out but always come and check us out on social media we're always putting out good stuff there but linkedin definitely a great way to get in touch with me personally and beyond that, you're always welcome to come to the website, franis.us, and check out what we're doing. Keen, thank you so much for being with us today. And hopefully this touched some lives. I'm confident that it did. And uh, we'll look forward to having you on again in the future. All right, guys. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, thanks, Keen. And hopefully we got you a little closer than 100 million people. So. <laughs> Just by having the conversation, we're already you know leaning in the right direction. Yeah, appreciate it. Powerful episode today, Ira. And I think a great way to close out Mental Health Awareness Month. By, by talking about these things, sharing these stories that we go through and and understanding that in the future, hopefully we're going to have technology that can help us with that. But what were some of the big takeaways for you today that were some aha moments with Keenan? You know, there were so many. I actually was kind of so absorbed in the conversation. I didn't write down a lot, but it, you know, the more we thought about it through throughout the the course of the last almost not quite an hour was you know, about that stigma. I mean, it it just, I can't think of any other program or any other offering if, if, if management, if leadership, if businesses really cared about people that they had a 3% or 4% participation rate with all the money that they invested, that they wouldn't respond differently. But you know, getting as we heard and in getting into the whole conversation, the problem is, is that it's still viewed as if we treat the mental illness, if we treat the people, then our costs go up and people we're still not considering all the loss, whether it's unplanned absences, whether it's violence in the workplace, whether it's lost productivity whether it's all the time that people spend not doing their work. It's just incredible. So I, I think it's still, it's just mind boggling of how, you know, close to 100% of mid to large size companies offer a program, but the participation rates three or 4%, but 83% of the population admits that it's a crisis and you know one out of five people say that their life is miserable i mean that means that it's basically 10 percent or maybe 15 percent of the people who have a problem at work are accessing the programs to help them that's right and that it that this is about prevention too right i mean the work that keenan and his team they do at francis is let's not wait until this escalates and becomes a big issue 
where maybe you do have to get to a point where you have to use medication, but are there some things preventatively on the front end that you can do to start working through these and to know that those supports are available, that you don't have to wait until you're sick to get the type of assistance to work through the life challenges or the traumas or the things that are coming up in your life. And real quick for me, just a quick story. I used EAP. It was about a year and a half ago when one of my twins, I was giving him CPR um, to try and help save him. And I knew that I needed to talk with somebody after that, even though we saved him and he's fine. I knew that it was going to eat me up over time if I didn't have someone to talk to and process that. I didn't want to look at my son and feel him lifeless in my arms. I wanted to look at him and be thankful that he's alive. And it took me being able to talk with somebody about that and not only talking to my counselor through EAP, but then I was willing to share that with some people as well and saying, hey, I'm using the EAP services and this is an incredible experience and it's really helping me. I know there are some things that are really confidential and private that some people may not want to share, but I also hope that like in my instance, if there are things that you're comfortable to share with other people on your teams, that that'll become more commonplace of how we connect with each other, of how we can support one another through these challenges. And with that being said, we just want to thank you, Googleization Nation, for being with us in this episode. We hope it touched you um, and will be a helpful resource for you and those that you care about as we close out Mental Health Awareness Month. If you haven't liked and subscribed to the show, you can find us on YouTube. You can find us on all the podcast platforms. We'd appreciate it if you did subscribe. And until next time, I'm Jason Cochran signing off. And I'm Ira Wolf. Thank you again for being part of Googleization Nation. If you are looking to to grow, whatever side of the spectrum you're on, please go up and take a look at my Growth IQ Plus Mindset Program. Uh, you can get it at irawolf.com or adaptabilitytoolkit.com. Uh, and hopefully it will be a big help and uh, create some new opportunities uh, for you, whether you're looking for to develop or get rid of some of that stress. And until next time, don't let the shift hit your plans. Bye.